Lord Jesus, you're worthy of our worship. And you will always, forever, be worthy of worship. And, and so we just want to remember that that's not just us coming on Sunday and singing songs. That's the way that we live, the way that we work, the way that we relate to friends and family and strangers. Um, our whole lives exist uh, to worship. It's when we mow our grass this spring, we can worship or we could worry. or We can worship ourselves or other people. Uh, so we want to come and learn under you um, how to live lives of worship. Thank you for the worship happening downstairs. We pray that you'd bless the, the, the leaders, the teachers of the kids that are down there and soften, um, soften the children's hearts uh, so that they would know you from an early age. Never know any period of major rebellion but that theirs would be a generation who knows and follows hard after you, Jesus. And what we're doing up here is very much connected to it because those kids are going to go home with families, and I pray that our homes would reflect a culture of discipleship as well. And so, as we look to your word, would you soften our hearts and open the eyes of our hearts uh, to see and embrace you, and to obey you, Jesus. Amen. So I, I'm going to start by giving you uh, two options for living quarters. And uh, just disregard price. Uh, hypothetically, these could be given to you, hypothetically. Um, and, and I just want you to thank, just, I'm giving you two options, just thank which one which one would I want to live in? So here's the first. Uh, these are all pictures of one single property. Uh, we're going to call this property property the messy spider hole. Um, get a good look. You know, the living room is on your left. The kitchen is on your right. And then you have your own personal hideout for, you know, like if someone's coming and you just don't want them to find you, you can go in this hole, hide out, not be found. It's a spider hole. Um, feel free to, you know, take out your phone, take a picture of this if you want to remember it like you're touring a house. Uh, that's option number one. Okay, here's your other option. Palaces, plural. Those are just two of a few palaces. And then the pictures of the inside, ornate, grand entryways, uh, indoor swimming pool. You know, that's all I could fit on the, on the slide. But, uh, that's, that's property number two. And so if, if you could choose, you know, which would you like your feet to tread on? Which would you like to be your dwelling place? Um, and you don't have to decide right now. We'll come back to it. So I'll give you some time. Um, put that on your back burner, though. We've been walking through Matthew's gospel. And uh, the, the, the one word description uh, that we've been using is fulfillment. Uh, Jesus is the fulfillment of all of God's purposes, all of God's promises. And Matthew just has repeated this theme so far in the first four chapters. And uh, I, just, I just want to remind you before we dive into our text today that if Jesus is the point 
of all that God has done throughout history, if we believe that, if we believe it all exists for him, then we should expect to find true and lasting fulfillment for our lives in him, that our lives exist for him. And that's not some vague religious notion that, oh, it all exists for Jesus, but it becomes an ever practical truth. So one example is uh, we should not expect selfishness to produce satisfaction. We, we, should, we shouldn't expect that because we know the opposite is true. The one for whom everything exists surrendered himself and after, after dying on the cross and being resurrected, Hebrews tells us he's been anointed with the oil of gladness. So Jesus is an incredibly pleasant, happy person to be around. Um, he knows the way to fulfilling life and uh, it, it goes through um, the cross. It goes through selflessness rather than selfishness. And that doesn't mean we can't enjoy things, but it does mean we can't really enjoy life as we desire to enjoy life fully without Jesus. And so Matthew shows Jesus to be the completion of all of scripture, the completion, the fulfillment of human history, and we need to see and savor Jesus in that light for ourselves. And when we do that, um, it's kind of like seeing two very different homes next to each other. There's no question which one you'll want to live in, what, what kind of life you'll want to lead for yourself. So we, we've kind of been, and I mentioned this early on in our series, we've been in flyover mode. We've basically covered four chapters in a month. Uh, we've just been, you know, zooming along. But today we begin our descent into a very slowed down pace. Uh, kind of like uh, there was one time I had a layover in New York City. And as we were descending, in, you know, like you could see the buildings and the cars. Everything became much more clear as the plane was descending. Uh, you could see all the details of the city. And so today we're, we're going to just kind of do a flyover of the Sermon on the Mount. I'm going to read the whole thing. So just brace yourself. And uh, I, I hope that you'll get a glimpse today of the details that we'll see later as we walk through the Sermon on the Mount slowly. So I just thought if we're going to do an overview, what better way to overview it than read the whole thing. And here... One of, if not the greatest sermons ever preached because Jesus preached it. Um, so I'll begin in Matthew 5 and read through the end of Matthew 7. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. 
You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of the pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. You've heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin, but anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you're still with him on the way, or he may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. I tell you the truth, you will not get out until you've paid the last penny. You've heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for marital unfaithfulness, causes her to become an adulteress. And anyone who marries the divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, Do not break your oath, but keep the oaths that you have made to the Lord. But I tell you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. Simply let your yes be yes, and your no, no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. You've heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be sons of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what, re what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. 
So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the street corners to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they've received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be done in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also, will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men their fasting. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to men that you are fasting, but only to your father who is unseen. And your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness if then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They don't even labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So don't worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Don't judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the while there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye. Then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Don't give to dogs what is sacred. 
Don't throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks find, finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ferocious wolves. By their fruit you'll recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you'll recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, because he taught as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. So, I see Jesus as the most intelligent person who ever lived, and he has a profoundly important message in this sermon that we just read. And so my, my remarks today are going to be brief because that was a long passage to read. But I do want you to know the overarching message and structure of this sermon because it was, it was a unified whole. It's, it's a message. It makes sense. So I see five main parts to the structure all which reinforce Jesus' point, which his main overarching message is how to live in the kingdom of the heavens, how to live in the kingdom of God. And so here's, here's the first part, is embrace your blessedness of being in the kingdom. Above any and every circumstance, no matter who you are, no matter where you are, if you're in the kingdom, if you're in the kingdom of God, you're blessed. And that's verses 1 through 16. We'll dive more into that starting next week. But that's, that's the first part. Just embrace your blessedness in the kingdom. The second part of the structure 
is found in verses 17 through 20. And Jesus seems to be saying, know that more blessing is available. You you are blessed in the kingdom. But this, this passage, 17 through 20, is kind of a hinge. We'll come back to later today. Jesus is clarifying what this whole message is about. That there's more blessing available. So like a bride and a groom on a wedding day, they're happy, they're blessed. But if that is the pinnacle of their relationship, the wedding day, if that's the pinnacle, they're going to end up miserable. If, if everything goes downhill from there, uh, it, it, they'll be miserable in, in marriage because what they're committing to is ongoing relationship, which should lead to greater depth, greater blessing. And the same is true in our relationship with Jesus. He says, anyone in my kingdom is well off because I'm your king, but you can know me more. Those who hear these commands and practice them and teach others to do the same, he says, they'll be called great in the kingdom of heaven. But those who don't keep these commands and teach others to do the same as they're doing, not keeping the commands, they will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. So you have significant input on your experience of blessing in the kingdom. You're blessed in the kingdom, but there's more blessing available by, by more intimacy, more closeness with Jesus. So we'll come back to that one. But you, you'll hear it in the songs that we've been singing. I want to know you, Jesus, my Lord, King of the heavens and King of my soul. I, I trade my treasure and all my rewards, Jesus, to know you, then know you more. Okay? That's, that's the second part of the structure of the Sermon on the Mount. He clarifies what he's talking about, how to live in the kingdom. And the third part of his message is, is a long portion, the rest of chapter 5, verse 21 through the end. Jesus is saying, if you want to, er, Jesus is saying, if you want to experience that fuller blessing, if you want to thrive in the kingdom and not just put up a tent and live there, if you want to thrive there, then here's the kind of person that I'm leading you to become. The kind of person who keeps the intent of God's law. He, the kind of person who keeps the heart of God's law. So God's law said don't murder, right? This is one example Jesus went through. But Jesus is saying the intent, the heart behind it is don't act in anger. Because if you can not learn to not, if you can learn how to not act in anger, you're not going to worry about killing someone else. If you can learn how to not tolerate lustful thoughts in your mind, then you're going to be a long way away from committing adultery. Rather than focusing on, I'm going to keep all my oaths. I'm not going to break any of them. Think about why are you swearing in the first place? What are you taking an oath for? What are you trying to prove? This is an invitation to become a certain kind of person who increasingly finds this way of living to make the most sense. And we, we all do what makes sense to us. And Jesus is trying to teach us, this is what makes the most sense. This is how to live well. And so if you're intrigued, if you're like, hey, I, I, want, I want to move towards that. How can I go about changing into that type of a person? Jesus gives the answer in chapter six. This is part four. If you want to become that type of person, Move towards it with internal training. 
So Jesus goes through giving and praying and fasting. These are all good things. And they were good things in Jewish culture at the time Jesus gave this message. But Jesus is saying, they're not good things if you do them for others. You'll get your reward by simply winning the applause of other people. Jesus is encouraging us to do them in secret. Do them living in the presence of God. Don't do them for other people. Do them for your Father in heaven. So kind of like we all have exercises to become fit, healthy, in good condition. You go to the Y. You, you eat certain things. You don't eat other things. We have to have internal exercises to be healthy on the inside. And the goal of these exercises isn't to show off our accomplishments, but enjoy relationship with God. And so here's, here's an incredibly practical example of an internal exercise for, for that any of us could do. If, if, you're, if you're working, uh, your drive on the way into work could become an internal exercise in living in God's presence. You could, you could use that time to pray something like this. Lord, I believe you've called me to serve here as an engineer, as a teacher, whatever your role is. I know that you're with me. Would you teach me how to do my work out of relationship with you? Use the work that I do to internally form me, that it would be internal training for my heart. And then on your drive home from work, you could say, okay, God, what kind of a person was I today? What kind of a person was I ingraining habits towards today? Frustrated, an impatient person, or a kind and gentle person. So that, that's just one example of part four. And whether you engage that internal training or not, whether, whether you're intentional about the formation of your insides, who you are in your inner life, no matter how, you, how much or how little you engage it, your insides will come out. Your insides will work themselves out in relationships to God and others and that's how he ends in chapter 7. Your obedience is fleshed out in community with other people. Your inner life can't help but come out. And so Jesus wraps it up with the famous and brilliant illustration of a man who built his house on the rock, and a man who built his house on the sand. And the point is that we would put into practice, not just here, but do what Jesus said. That's the person who built their house on the rock. That's the whole point of everything, is how to live in the kingdom, how to live well in the kingdom. And so, in light of that, and uh, as I told you last week, we're going to do communion this week. This is one thing that Jesus told his followers to do, and Paul clarified that this is something to be done together as a church. Take communion. It's a visible, tangible reminder of Jesus' sacrifice, his body broken for us, his blood shed for us, and all this done so that we might live with him. So any who are following the resurrected King Jesus, you're welcome, when the song plays, you're welcome to come forward and take a cracker symbolizing, you know, like his body, the, the bread, and take a cup, which symbolizes his blood uh, spilled for us. 
and hold on to those and we'll take them together. The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread and when he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take together. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's take it together. If you're able to pass that, maybe down to one side, that would help clean up after the service. Thanks. I want to I conclude this second, well maybe last third of the message talking about the gospel in the sermon on a big big picture level where's the gospel in the sermon on the mount and uh, specifically come back to the hinge of verses uh, 17 through 20 this really kind of is the rotating point it it carries the weight of this message I'm going to read the section one more time you know, Jesus said, don't think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. And he had to say that because his audience thought he's teaching something new. Don't think that I've come to do away with the old. I've not come to abolish them, but remember our key word, fulfillment? I've come to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not in any of the smallest ways, the smallest letter, the least stroke of the pen, like dotting your eye. Well, by, by no means, Will any of it disappear from the law until everything is finally and fully accomplished? Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments, remember he's talking about the law, and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the most righteous people that you guys know of, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, you'll certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus is very, very, very interested in righteousness, a right kind of living. And when we hear righteousness, at least those of us with a Protestant background, I'll speak for you. I I think I hear imputed, imputed righteousness, which is a righteousness that has nothing to do with how good you are. A righteousness that has everything to do about how right, how good God is, how good Christ is. It's, it, imputed righteousness is the change in your relationship status. When you went from guilty before God to absolutely innocent because of Jesus taking your place. You went from wrong with God to right with God. God can't love you any more or any, any less. Because when he looks at you, he sees Jesus and his righteousness covering you. Jesus' righteousness is credited to your account. Like if, if, if someone sent you an Amazon gift card and you know you click that button. I love Amazon gift cards, right? And you know you click that button and boom, your account has the money they paid for, but it's in your account, right? So that's imputed righteousness. Jesus' righteousness, perfect righteousness credited to you. And I want to affirm that 100%. I cannot affirm that any more than 100%. And I also want to affirm what Jesus is teaching about ingrained righteousness. 
And that's not a theological term. That's a term that I made. The, the theological term here would be sanctification. But I made up ingrained righteousness so that we could remember imputed and ingrained. And ingrained righteousness is simply saying that your love for God, it can be more or less. God's love for you cannot be more or less. It doesn't depend on your behavior, but your love for God, it can increase or decrease. And verses 17 through 20, which I just read, and Jesus saying those who practice and teach these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Those who don't will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. He's talking about ingrained righteousness, like the kind of person that you are and the kind of person that you're becoming. 